This week, we're going to talk about Love, Death and Robots and Sekiro, Shadows Die Twice. Hello and welcome to another awesome episode of the Last King Podcast. I'm your host, the fifth Hokage, Mr. Toffee. Kofu Kofefe? What? <laughs> oh, ho, 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 Kokage, Hokage, Hokage, like Naruto. Sure, yeah. But Kofefe is cool too. We'll go for Kofefe. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Keeping it very uh, topical here with the Twitter jokes. And I am, of course, uh, the uh, forever dying Shafiq, I guess. Oh gosh. Uh, no, I, I can't think of anything really clever this time. And okay, um, special. You could be like the OG Shinobi, I guess. OG Shinobi. The, or, or, or the OG Hattori. Hattori Hanzo, the OG Hattori Hanzo. The OG Hattori. No, I like OG Shinobi. That shall be my hip hop MC name from now on. I am OG Shinobi. <laughs> and then, like, the S is spelled with the dollar sign. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, we are down one this special episode. Uh, Eccentric Tom decided to go and get married. Yep. yep. Well, Congratulations to him, by the way. Congratulations. Congratulations. Yeah. A winner yeah. is you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but yeah, so um, today we have one video game. And we have a, a Netflix. TV anthology, anthology of sorts. Yes, yeah, yeah, go. pretty much. Actually, a collaboration between David Fincher and Tim Miller. Both of them who have done pretty awesome films back in the day and even now as well. Mm. If I remember, David Fincher, he's big on Seven and of course, Fight Club. Social Network, Fight Club, uh, Go the Dragon Tattoo remake, I guess. And, I'm uh, okay Tim Miller, with that. <laughs> yeah. And then Tim Miller, I mean, apart from Deadpool, what else has he done Didn't actually? Didn't he work in... Maybe animation? Because if I'm not mistaken... A while back, yes, I think. Yeah. Mm. And but the thing is, uh, Tim Miller was famous also as a uh, sequence designer for intros. I think he did the title sequences for Girl with the Dragon Tattoo back in two thousand eleven, and also for Thor: The Dark World in two thousand thirteen. But I think that's where the whole David Fincher and Tim Miller thing started. It was with the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, right? I think I'm that's guessing. probably maybe their uh, the earliest collaboration I can think of before this one. But I mean, yeah. I know Tim Miller d- does have like he's he he does have the animation background, which is like why it was surprising for me. That we found out that he was going to be directing like the Deadpool movie and it's like who is this guy yeah and of just, course just he... coming out from nowhere but then somehow or rather Deadpool turned out alright it has spawned a sequel and we might have X-Force fall you know in the future actually you know what we're going to have he is the executive producer for the Sonic the Hedgehog film interesting alright so we're going to get that this year <laughs> we'll see how that pans out well uh, we, we didn't know we needed a Sonic the Hedgehog it's going to be live action too right it's live action plus um, James Marston uh, Cyclops as the cop who befriends Sonic the Hedgehog in an adventure where apparently Jim Carrey is going to be starring as Ivo Robotnik I, I want to see that yeah. Anyway, so we're going to be talking about uh, the new Netflix special. Uh, how many episodes in total? We have a grand total of 18 of these. Yeah, 18, 20 minute episodes or 10 minute episodes, depending on which. Yeah, you know, uh, very um, easily consumable. I don't think so. Uh, but yes, uh, it arrived on Netflix probably like a, maybe, how many, like a, as of this recording, recording, maybe almost a week ago, right? Sorry. <laughs> yeah. So I guess we have to talk about Love, Death, and Robots, which I don't know. It, like, as as I feel like they give a lot of effort to actually making these episodes and the animation, but at the same time, it doesn't really feel like it's a cohesive whole, which we'll explore much later. But for now, let's talk about our favorite episodes. Like Shafiq, you want to start first? Well, for me, um, strangely enough, it's the one that has the least CGI. Um, like out of all the eighteen episodes, the one that really stuck out to me. I mean, can I choose two or can I just do I have to? Just... I, I let's go for three. You know, like three because they're like all the pretty short three? anyway. Yeah, the top three. Well, for me, like the the one that stood out the most was definitely Zima Blue, and um, also Fish Knight. 
And if I had to choose a third one, because the thing is, like, the rest of them felt, I would say, adequate. Uh, but definitely, maybe, you know, good hunting. Because the, these are the three that had the most, um, I would say, uh, artistry. They had the most, like, art direction compared to the rest. Because, like, I've come to a point where CGI just doesn't do it for me anymore. Like, CG animation feels, like, in this, especially in this day and age, when even your, like, a third-rate video game can have graphics that look like that now. Yeah, yeah, and the thing is, I also want to kind of bring up the fact that I mean, we did previously talk about like how ground groundbreaking the Animatrix was with that their CGI, and it was the only CGI uh, entry in the entire, uh, like I think that anthology, and like you know for its time in two thousand three, you have to understand like you know that was groundbreaking. Like we've never seen anything that close. I mean, yeah, nowadays when we look back at it, it doesn't really age well, and it kind of like borders on the uncanny valley. I think a few years before that flight, final fight of the Osiris episode came out, I think it was the Final Fantasy film that came out from Square Enix. Within, yeah. And yeah. also at the same time, it's like, uh, like for an older gentleman as myself, it's like, you know, the thing is, we've been seeing stuff like this since then, since like, you know, uh, early 2000s, even maybe like, you know, late 90s. We lived through Beast Wars, Beast Machines and Reboot. Yeah, you know, I mean, I say that. like, you know, Say what you want. Reboot is an amazing show. But it is an awesome the, show. The dude. We had to do an episode about that one of these. We want to do a reboot yeah. episode? I yes. can't wait. But yeah. the thing is, is like, yeah, it doesn't age well when it comes to the visuals. And the thing is, now we've kind of reached a sort of plateau when like CGI animation just feels like, um, yeah, that's good. That that is, you know, I don't see the artistry, but I do see the effort. I do, I do see the technical aspects. Like, yeah, sure, like, you know, the shadows look nice, or maybe, like, you no, know, the texturing looks nice, or maybe the surfacing on certain, like, materials look nice, and, like, where else can we go with this? So, I mean, for me, in general, uh, like, why I chose Zima, especially, like, Zima Blue, is, like, out of all of them, this is the one where it, the story actually stood out, and it wasn't just a simple play on, like, style over substance, it was more, like, a director or a storyteller who had a vision and who had maybe something in mind and something he wanted to like you know bring across and it's like it's the only one that has like existentialist vibes which is what I would maybe attach it to something like this is the one that feels like you know it, this was definitely inspired by stuff like heavy metal or even the like the animatrix like that one episode in the animatrix and uh, heavy metal where it's like it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a smart one. It's a smart episode because I mean, every anthology would have one anyway. Yeah, I would say that. Like, I, I mean, I wouldn't say Zima Blue is the smartest one, but then again, if you want to compare it to the other kids, like yeah, it's the standout one. Yes. But I would say this. It is like um, a beautifully poignant story because it's basically the story of this uh, artificial intelligence. I don't want to spoil anything. I think it's going to be very difficult to spoil stories that are like um, ten to twenty minutes long. Actually, you can just say that it's about a story about this artist, a very mysterious artist yeah, who invited that. this. I mean, we're gonna do our best to try and not spoil any of these stories, but it's, it's a, pretty fresh, yeah. It's, it's a story about an artist who is seeking for truth. And then the thing is he augments himself to the point where he can travel the cosmos to like you know have a communicate like to communicate with the universe and to like, you know, discover the truth. And it ends beautifully in a very nice poetic way where he just regresses to his true form and basically, it's like, you know, I mean, out of all the stories, it had something to say and it didn't go overboard trying to say it. And mm. I mean, to me, at the end of Zima Blue, like, that's the only one that I felt like, you know, I thought I thought about the story again and like how, like, you know, beautifully done it was. And then like, for the other one is like Fish Night. Fish Night is just, to me, feels like, you know, classic 90s style, like amazing stories, Outer Limits, like, where it's... Simple premise, this happens, and it's, it's basically about these two salesmen who get stranded in the middle of the desert when their car breaks down. 
and they realize that they're surrounded by I mean not say surrounded they are actually in uh, like I would say an ocean graveyard is that the best way uh, to say uh, fish afterlife yeah or apparently. something like that yeah and then it's like the ghosts like this whole desert used to be the bottom of an ocean and then like you know as they were like camping out in their car they like awake one night to discover that you know the ghosts of the uh, the ocean dwellers and I'm talking about every era of ocean dweller pops yes. up and it's like um, I mean one thing I love is definitely the tales from the borderland self-shaded style um, if you're not familiar with Tales from the Borderland I would say it's uh, I don't know what else I can compare this to but you know what I mean I guess you can just again sell, the only kind of cell shading I can think about is still Borderlands 2 that's about it so. yeah and I mean like, if you play Telltale games if you play like you know the, the Borderlands games it has that kind of uh, cell shaded look and uh, done beautifully and I think because it's not hampered by the fact that it's a video game that they can actually you know get the lines and the shadows just right so like yeah in terms of fluidity in terms of animation in terms of uh, aesthetics and in terms of art direction probably one of the most beautiful episodes I've ever seen uh, I've seen and uh, yeah you know and then of course you know me being the uh, the Asian guy <laughs> I, I kind of like good hunting even though the story is not that strong but mm-hmm. I do like the art direction I do like the design I do like um, the very interesting illustration choice I also especially like um how it morphs from like you know very uh, traditional Hong Kong town to what it became. Yeah, like I, I love the world building. I think that's what I want to try to mention. It's like I, I like seeing how uh, this the story about this young like you know hunter, okay, who hunts ghosts, yeah. and it, like basically as you know the world evolves around him and it like it enters a new like industrial age where it, it doesn't become, uh, you know, it, it's not like our future. It's a steampunk future. Like an alternate future of sorts. Yeah, and the thing sense. is, like, I'm I'm a sucker for machinations like that. I like it when, like, when especially when he's designing the rabbit, and you see all the the little moving parts and how it. All oh my god, that's so beautiful to look yeah, at! Like, and, and I looked at it and I thought to myself, because like compared to a lot of the rest of uh, like you know, Love, Death, and Robots, like a lot of the animation is just basically, yeah, you see moving parts, but you don't see them kind of like work together. Whereas like you know when you when especially with the steampunk aesthetic, right, it has to look like it actually works. And that requires a lot of like you know moving parts and yeah, the design for me, especially when he um, redesigns her legs. Yeah, I'm just gonna say that I don't wanna spoil it, but just even that whole sequence was beautiful to me. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it, it gave me like flashbacks to like classic shows like Aeon Flux, or to like those liquid television MTV days where like oh look at this. It's I mean it's not trying to tell a great or an inter- like an intelligent story it, it shows sexy animation for me in a way but without you know going pandering in a sense oh like there's a lot of sleek. sexy animation yeah. yeah yeah sleek and sexy in that sense with, I mean while still trying to retain some little semblance of class line in a sense you know a little semblance going of class overboard. Um, but yeah. how about you what are your three favourite shows well apart from Good Hunting which we talked about uh, eloquently I actually did enjoy the very first episode Sonny's Edge I mean it may not be a lot of people's favorite, and the CGI. I mean, again, it's more for art direction for me. I especially like the fact that it's all set in a nightclub where kaiju's fight. Mm-hmm. I mean, the story itself is about this uh, group of people who are, oh, who are actually controlling monsters through your brains for you know, fight clubs and stuff. And then there's a story that develops on with its own twists. I mean, it's a very short film. Per, I mean, a short little clip per se that kind of spells out its twist when you see the fight happening back and forth. Mm. But at the same time. I enjoyed it for what it was. I mean, it's a cheesy uh, introduction to the world of love, death, and uh, love, death, and robots. I would say, yeah, like, it's a good setup. A good setup. Like, I kind of figured I'm gonna see a lot more sci-fi twists and turns in terms of technology. Like, 
how Black Mirror does with real life technology, um, Love, Death and Robots would do with animation. Until I watch the entire show, lah, then I have my problems with it. But for now, it's a good starter per se. It's a nice little f- appetizer before the good stuff. And I also got to bring up my other favorite uh, um, segment, uh, Suits. It's the one oh, about like uh, <laughs> Starcraft yeah. in Kansas. <laughs> yep, it's the one. Yeah, basically Starcraft in Kansas, where a bunch of farmers have to protect their denizen, their hometown, from these things called DBs, who basically look like Zerks, more or less, coming out from a different dimension or whatnot. Like they call them giant insects, right? And then yeah, they call them DBs in the show. So mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, yeah. I figured that if they're gonna go to this premise, go all out, and they actually did. And the animation. They captured the animation for the action scenes and the mechs and everything just really well. I mean, the colors, the animation, it feels a bit more... I don't know, like, you, we had a discussion about this, that it feels a bit like Spider-Verse yes, in does. the sense. Especially in the animation style and how choppy it is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I loved it too. Uh, I mean, it's not one of my favorites, but it's also, I would say, one of the more entertaining ones because the premise is very simple. It's just basically these. I mean, it's a really it's a really quick way of telling the story, but I kind of like... I kind of dig the main character and... Yeah, I would say that like pals and everything like you chummy, you know, they got that chummy kind of vibe. Not just that, but like for as short as it is, like you understood the arc of every single character perfectly, and the stakes as well. Yeah, yeah, you know, especially like you know, like what happens to Jake is like, oh, I mean, you feel for him, you know, even though it it doesn't take, it doesn't have enough time to kind of develop all these characters, but even Grammy is like, you know, I loved her so much. Yeah, yeah. and it's like yeah, and I would say. I would also... I mean, yeah, if I had to choose, I would probably put Suits up there as also among my favourites if I didn't have just three. I mean, well, what's the other one that you like the most? Uh, let's see. Um, there's also Beyond the Killer Rift, but only because I kind of like these uh, Tales of the Crypt kind of like little stories where mm. here's a 20-minute short segment about stuff that can go wrong when it comes to space travel and boop, there it is. I'm, gonna say, I'm not going to say more than that, but the way it looks, the art style, I mean, the CGI... Like the way you actually go into the space station to the, you know, the, the horror reveal and everything, it actually works out pretty well. You know, it's a very, very stark difference between the art styles between both the before and after bits, per se. And you could tell that something was going on wrong when you feel like everything is too good to be true, which because it is, you know? I would say it's, it's very akin to like even a Twilight Zone episode where the ending is just bleak. Yeah, yeah. And it's, like, it's meant to like affect you. And I think I would also say that. This is also definitely one of the better episodes because, um, I mean, don't expect everything to have a happy ending. Yeah, yeah. And, like, some of the times, uh, you know, I do like a little bit of bleakness, a little bit of uh, despair at the end of my little animation shorts. And I would say it's also well-earned. It, it kind of set up the character and the relationship, the relationship he has with this other character, Greta. Mm-hmm. And then, like, seeing it as how when it finally, they, they finally revealed the twist. And just how, like, you know, beautifully, like, you know, sad it is. Where, like, despite what it is that he has to face, in the end, at least he's kind of, in his own way, happy. Yeah, you know, yeah. it felt like Brazil in the end, where, like, you succumb to your own madness. I mean, I don't want to spoil anything. But, yeah, like, yeah. I love that a lot. I love how, like, sometimes it's better to just stay in the dream. To me, yeah, yeah, that's definitely. the best way for me to describe, uh, like, Beyond the Aquila Rift. Uh. Eh. Even though, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm not that impressed with the CGI of it, but I do. That, that at least there's a happy ending somewhere. In there oh, somewhere, somebody right? gets a happy ending. <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, and then there's also another episode, Lucky Thirteen. I mean, even though the CGI seems like very atyp- like very typical, I just kind of like the fact that oh, okay, there's a bond between the girl and her her ship flying plane lah, basically like, drop the, ship, the, Lucky Thirteen, a drop ship. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's a it's a nice little tale per se, like just done, cut up in a really short manner and. I, I didn't mind it so much. I mean, 
again, I the, the 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 climactic scene where everything just blows up to hell per se just works out really well. Mm. Considering there's actually two factions fighting against each other, like what can you expect? So it's alright stuff as well too lah. I would say like for Lucky Thirteen, uh it has my favorite performance, like Samira Wiley, who plays uh, Lieutenant Colby, who everybody should know as Puse from Orange is the New Black. <laughs> yes, yes. And the okay. thing is they even modeled her character to look kinda like her, so yeah, you, yeah, you can match semantic. the voice to the to, to the animation. Overall, yeah, performances are kind of hit and miss. The animation is definitely hit and miss when it comes to... I wouldn't even say quality. I would just say uh, consistency. I mean, like... Actually, that's a very good point that you brought up because when you look at heavy metal, you expect, like, power mill fantasies and some bit of schlock coming mm, in. Definitely. <laughs> Animatrix, every story has to tie down to the Matrix, like, regardless of art style. Mm. Um, Love, Death, and Robots, it's a bunch of shorts here and there, but... I feel like I, it's missing that one unifying theme. Like, if I see a show called Love, Death, and Robots, you expect every show to have some sort of like sci-fi logic. There should be a robot in there somewhere, right? And then all of a sudden, you have this one ep- like one show. Or a cyborg, about- at the very least, a cyborg. And right? then you have this one episode where, oh, it's a werewolf story. Okay, yeah, yeah. What's yeah. this got to do with anything? Or you see, or one- that's, or as this is the last episode where it kind of reminded me of like what happens if the if uh, Metro had a prequel movie. <laughs> What, the Secret War episode? I kind of like yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, I kind of like how it also had that Hellboy kind of like, oh, the Nazis were studying the occult. Oh, no, wait, was it the Nazis? No, it was the Russians, right? I'm sorry. It's the Russians, the Russians. My yeah. bad. Yeah, okay. Okay, but yeah, it is like, okay, you know, I mean, it, for a show that is called Love, Death, and Robots, it does, like, you know, tread into uh, themes of the occult and the supernatural. I mean, there's even an, a, a story that's like kind of like the resurrection of Dracula. So, like, oh, where's yeah. the robots here? Yeah, yeah. I, I thought mean, that would be thing. a theme, but it wasn't, huh? Mm. Yeah, yeah, I thought it was going to be like, again, robots, cyborgs, sci-fi, misuse of, you know, like, twists in the sci-fi genre, but again, it's all over the place. It kind of reminds you of a animation festival DVD collection, like the animation show or the one you told me earlier. Oh, the, like Resfest? Yeah. Yes, yes, it, yeah. It feels like definitely a compilation of uh, animated shorts that is definitely intended for an animation festival. But now, you know what, I don't think animation festivals are a thing anymore. And I would also, I mean, like usually, whenever like you know, like you know, animation houses or studios want to kind of showcase like their work and do some like you know, like some short film, they'll just throw it up there on YouTube. But the thing is, YouTube is like you're dependent on ad revenue. But if yeah. Netflix was to give you like maybe a million dollars to just put something together, yeah, sure, I'd go. For yeah, you it. gotta jump on board that. Yeah, Definitely. that's for sure. I mean, but then again, you're also gonna be attached to names like Tim Miller and David Fincher. And I don't know, was it like basically were these animation houses and all these uh, studios maybe like frequent collaborators with uh, Fincher and Miller, or is it maybe they had to handpick or look up or seek out? Like the talent, because I, I think it's more like references per se. Like whoever worked, mm. you know, like it's the case with Animatrix and Keanu Reeves and his John Wick team. If they, they probably had a connection somehow back in the 2011 days or so. When yeah, probably. I would say this is definitely their rolodex of like their their uh, pool of talent that they usually refer to. And I think the best part. I think at least the best part about this is at least they don't have to follow censorship or follow some sort of rule from, you know, some guidelines on TV, you know. Where yeah, thank God for do Netflix. Sex, do that. Again, lots of erect penises. If you're looking for it, it's there. Yeah. <laughs> we weren't, but there it is. <laughs> I would say also maybe, you know what? It's also a sign of the times because Netflix is actually being very brave and very bold when it comes to the content that they're putting out. I mean, like there was a period of time where they were basically just, you know, uh, like... A replacement for HBO and then then they started like doing all these uh, comedy specials they were giving people like Amy Schumer and Dave Chappelle like tons of money just to do an hour special and yeah, then yeah. came that era where they started producing their own shows 
And then it's nice to see them doing like maybe I would say this is like a nice aside to the the Netflix machine where it's like they're kind of giving all these uh, animation house and animators and studios like you know uh, like a platform I would say you know where they can earn back. And you know what? More props to Netflix for like putting this together, and also to Tim Miller and David Fincher for like you know not forgetting their uh, old school roots or where they started. You know when it comes to like smaller productions before they were filmmakers. Yes, they were yeah, animators yeah. and uh, music video commercial guys. Eh. They have mentioned time and again that this uh, Love, Death, and Robots is supposed to be like their version, their spiritual successor to the heavy metal comics and that heavy metal directly, directly that they wanted to kind of like, in a few interviews here and there. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, I see what they're trying to do. Whereas, like, I mean, okay, maybe we should go also into our criticism on Love, Death, and Robots. I think I mean I agree totally with you in the in the point where you say that there is no true underlying common thread that could actually link all these stories together because none of them feel like they're part of the same universe. Whereas if you were to pay attention to something like say the Animatrix, which is set in the universe of the Matrix, or even to Heavy Metal, where everything is like centered around that the growing the glowing green ball that just mm. you know goes from place to place and wreaks havoc on humanity in various different ways, and it's like. It yeah, it does feel sometimes like this is not so much like a, a concentrated collection of a, a very specific vision. More like you know we're gonna just go through all these guys a bone and then we just put it all under this banner that we're gonna call Love, Death, and Robots. Which unfortunately it's a bit of a misnomer. It just doesn't like sometimes when you especially when you see something like Shapeshifters and like this doesn't seem to fit within a series called like you know Love, Death, and Robots. But it it's nice. It's fine, like the werewolf story. Like, okay, this doesn't really, you know, look like I, I don't, I don't see the love. I see death. I don't see any robots. You know, like one of the. If three, they introduce a sci-fi element of how these wolves came to be, then maybe, maybe it can, you know, be in that same thematic line with the if, robots. If they were like the mecha wolves with the bionic arms, like in Contra Three, oh, Contra yeah, Hardcore, yeah. <laughs> like, oh, okay, cool. I, I would say that too. I mean, like, uh, I, I know it's, it's not really much of a criticism. It's definitely a nitpick. Especially when you title something "Love, Death, and Robots," and a lot of the themes don't seem to really stick to that. And also at the same time, maybe it's just like a sticker you put on top of a, like a DVD box. Like, okay, this whole collection is called "Love, Death, and Robots," you know. So okay, I'm not gonna hold it against them, but also at the same time, it does feel to me like, um, especially when the genres jump around so much. And if you were to mention things like heavy metal, or you were to mention like, you know, that's your your direct influence. It's like at least heavy metal kind of like it does cater to the male power fantasy, and when you want to talk about the movie, the soundtrack's all heavy metal, exactly, so it kind yeah. of makes sense, you know. Whereas you see something like Love, Death, and Robots, and it's like, uh, I would say, I think a lot of people might be a little bit, I wouldn't say misaligned, but I would say like, oh, I didn't expect that, or like, I I, I was hoping that this there would be more of this in a, in a show that's called that. So yeah, I mean that's just one of my criticisms about Love, Death, and Robots in general. That I, I I wouldn't say that's more of a nitpick. I mean that's actually a pretty common problem when people want to do like a bunch of episodes for a segment or for a series and not tying it all together. Mm. It just feels like they work on their own. I mean these work as YouTube clips definitely, but oh, definitely, at the same yeah. time, if you want to actually make something cohesive, obviously this isn't the way to go. And of course we should also bring up the fact that there are actually some. Average and below average, and I mean below average shows yeah. in that compilation. Per se, those ones that don't really impress us, like the one of the robots, uh, not not the three robots, the the outlaws. I forgot what it's called. Hold on, it's 
Is it the one where they were basically carjacking this truck? Blind spot. That's the one. Yeah, yeah the blind carjackers. Spot. Blind spot. Yeah. I mean, it was fun, but it doesn't seem to add to anything. I think maybe what we're not. I mean, in a way, a lot of them are average, and I would say that's maybe detrimental to the other stories because then you're just maybe oversaturating this product with. I would say you know like if you put so many B's and then the A's don't shine as much. Yeah. You know what I mean? And you have to kind of slog through a few like pretty mundane ones before you get to the really good ones. And I would also like, especially in this day and age of binge culture where like if you don't keep their attention after five episodes, people will just shut off. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, yeah, I mean, I think maybe, hey, then you have to tune in to guys like us to kind of recommend you. Okay, you can skip all this. Just watch these episodes. <laughs> yeah, just watch uh, X, Y, and Z. I mean, we've already mentioned what we like, but yeah. at the same time, for the rest of them, you can... I guess if you want to watch it as a passing curiosity, sure, go ahead, but don't expect much. From yeah, I mean, like, I wouldn't say keep your expectations low, but just, you know, keep it with an open mind. Maybe you'll find some gems in here, maybe you won't. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's available on Netflix, okay? Uh, it's 18 episodes. Each one kind of clocks in about 20 minutes or under. So it's probably a day's worth of, you know, and maybe even less. Um, there'll be definitely some that you'll skip over I mean like you want to mention the ones you think are the weakest like what's the weakest story of the rest of you for me I didn't like the alternate history of Hitler because that felt like okay that it's it just felt like something that was done before in a Futurama or a Simpsons episode a long time ago but just like to me in a not so funny not not in a very satirical or funny way like to me. me especially with the animation style and the way that it's presented to me it feels like something that you know like should have been up on YouTube yeah, that you exactly. watch once. Yes, yes. It's like it, it has this very, um, I would say, like it's very motion graphic. It's very, um, it's animated a certain way, and I guess because of the subject matter and also because of like you know some of the, the nudity that's present in it and the very yeah. adult themes that okay maybe yeah maybe it's not safe for YouTube, but it can definitely be put in a compilation like this. Yeah, yeah, I guess. But to me, it yeah. feels like a bump, like a little speed bump to like you know something that could have been a little bit more consistent. Uh, like, yeah, I mean, like, even for me, like when you sh- give me a show like Love, Death, and Robots, and you kind of like uh, advertise it to be something that is, you know, oh, it's animation, and then like for me, the weakest one is definitely the Ice Age, where it mm. decides to be the only one with like it's live action with animated bits. So it's like it's basically the story of Topher Grace and uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead. They play a couple who discover a lost civilization in their freezer. And then they just watch the civilization kind of like, you know, uh, grow and then like, you know, enter its own industrial or what future age. And then they discover war and then they annihilate themselves. Okay, sorry, spoilers. No, no, no. I don't think it's spoilers considering this idea has been done to death by Futurama and The Simpsons. And even South Park, you know. Like even in Rick and Morty when like Rick creates an entire universe to power his like, you know... uh, like it's yeah, a universe the, inside yeah. a universe it's a smaller universe it's like yeah we've seen and the thing is because all those other stories exist like for me I'll immediately compare and like okay this doesn't say anything new or interesting compared to like how it's been attempted before the only difference is now it's live action yeah now it just features the guy from 70s show and uh, what's that uh, Ramona Flowers <laughs> that's it <laughs> from Scott Pilgrim vs. the World yeah. Oh. Uh, I mean yeah, I mean, for me, it felt very underwhelming. I mean, that, I think that's the problem with uh, Love, Death, and Robots. Like, when it hits hard, it hits perfect. And then you're, it's immediately followed by something probably average. And then there'll be that one that kind of feels like, yeah, this wasn't, like, you know, th- thought through. Or maybe... Good lot- idea, wet fart of an execution. Yeah, yeah you know, like, a, a lot of it is also style over substance. And it kind of, like, uh, makes it a bit, like, tedious to kind of, like, have to sit through all of it. 
you know like because then you because the thing is uh i was i was also say especially in this day and age when it, like you know when something like youtube exists when if you see something and you're not happy with it you can just skip you know you're not forced to you, you don't have to watch all of it and like this is what will make uh, love death and robots suffer because i think the curation needs to be a little bit more stricter yeah or I maybe even just cut off a few episodes it won't we don't sacrifice much quality if you just half like maybe save one for season one, save the other for season two. Yeah, you should split into two seasons. Like have one really strong one, uh, to kind of maybe be the like the figure hit for the entire season, and just wrap it around with more of. I, I, I mean, no offense to the artists and the illustrators and the animators who put it together. Yeah, but, great job, I mean, great job I mean, to all that. Overall, yeah, this is not easy to do. I admit that. You know, I'm not gonna like you know question the work ethic of the people, but I am gonna definitely say like you know that. The final product kind of missed the mark sometimes, and like you know, if I want to review this as an entirety, as like a like a, like a total product, there's too many uh, I would say weak, you know, there's too many chinks in the armor for me to actually give it an overall good grade, you know. Despite the fact, like you know, for me, like Zima Blue is definitely like if I were to give it like a number rating, it's like a nine upon ten. Like this is fantastic. But then, because you're surrounded by so many sixes, like that nine of upon ten kind of loses like its shine. Like sixes and fives, yeah. Yeah, you know what I mean. It's like it's, it's the reverse cheerleader effect. You know, it kind of makes this one not look as special because it's only special by default. Mm-hmm. You know, but uh, then again, I mean, are you interested in more of this stuff? For me, yeah, I actually want to see Tim Miller and David Fincher do more. I mean, get all these other animators to take the criticism for this particular season and make another Love, Death and Robots too. Yeah. But this time, follow, just basically just follow the theme like with uh, the Green Ball and Heavy Metal. Just have something that unifies all these episodes with the last episode being like the combination of everything else per se. Like for me, I don't know. Um, I, I did mention earlier that the CG, especially in this day and age, CG just doesn't impress me as easily as it used to. And like we did mention in our previous episode you know, where we mentioned the animatrix and how like you know the flight of the Cyrus blew us away back in two thousand three, back in the day because yes. we 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 didn't see we've never seen anything like that. And the thing is because we are so accustomed to it now that we've we've kind of plateaued when it comes to CG animation. I mean, I, then again, I think we're spoiled. We are very spoiled in terms of like seeing movies like Alita, Battle Angel, and. Like even how to I'm train sure your what, dragon. I don't know what else. Yeah, yeah. How to train your dragon. Thank like, you. Yes, that yes. looks so like immaculate. Also at the same yeah. time, I don't know if it's ever gonna be possible. Uh, like very recently, Captain Marvel kind of broke the uncanny valley by giving us a CGI Samuel L. Jackson that doesn't look like he's out of place. Mm. But then you place him next to an Agent Coulson whose face still looks like it's made of plastic. Then it's like okay, you know, it doesn't hit the mark all the time. Exactly. Yeah. So I mean, I would say this right. Uh, I am less interested in CG finally hitting perfect realism or photorealism because to me it's like there will always be a new uncanny valley that we'll rediscover later because like if you were to look back at uh, Flight of the Cyrus from the Animatrix like back in 2003 when you saw that for the first time you thought this nothing can be more real than this and yeah, they've been yeah. pushing that like you know time and time again but now it just kind of feels like the jumps don't feel as spectacular as they used to. It's like whatever, like you know, quantum leaps into the stratosphere that we've been doing with CG animation. It's like now it just seems like tiny little, like minute steps towards like you know probably perfect realism. Mm-hmm. But even by then, I'm pretty sure like future audiences or like you know the next generation of like uh, consumers of content will be like, ah, oh, this still looks fake or it still looks too like plasticky or it's I a think- new uncanny valley. This technology has been rising so fast. I think six years time by now, people look back at um, Sonia's Edge and Secret War and be like, 
this is not good looking, you know, per se. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, especially what happened with our own co-host. Like, Eccentric Tom looked at, like, you know, Flight of the Osiris and he was like, oh, this didn't age well at all. And he's like, yeah, yeah imagine all of this now. And then, like, I will also bring up again, like, something like Zemo Blue, like, you know, even though it's traditional 2D animation, but because it had such a strong art deco art style, it's like, this will last forever because at least aesthetically, it did something that was visually interesting and also at the same time, different enough for you to warrant it. Like, it's not trying to approach realism, but it's just something that's so stylized and uh, definitely intrinsic to the artist's vision mm-hmm. that it feels like, you know, as an artistic statement, this will stand on its own for a very long time. Like, I don't know. I mean, like, I don't want to have this conversation where, like, I'm not saying CG is bad. I mean, like, I'm glad it exists. And it's come to a point where, you know what, it's probably so prevalent that it's very hard for us to kind of judge it on the merit of it being groundbreaking anymore. Because, like, the point I really want to make is, like, I was kind of hoping, especially, like, for somebody like me who's a connoisseur of, like, you know, animation, films, arts, it's like, I would say... When Heavy Metal came out, it was groundbreaking because, you know, it did like rotoscoping effects, which was, you know, I wouldn't say ahead of its time because like, you know, Walt Disney did that with Snow White back in the day, you know, but just like the way things were animated, you know, that Ralph Bakshi kind of uh, like the, how choppy it looked back then, but how it was so stunning in its like aesthetics. Just the way it actually creates its art style, the yeah, world and everything. There's something that's works. like going to be timeless about like the Heavy Metal animation. I still watch um, Wizard from time to time whenever I'm bored. Oh, it's still a really good show. Yeah. yeah, and then like I would say also even the animatrix. While Flight of the the Osiris was definitely groundbreaking for you know being CG before CG was even a thing. Yeah, you know, and it's like you know how ahead of time that was. But then like when you looked at all the other stories, like at least each one aesthetically, artistically was trying to be different enough, and it was f- showcasing style. It was and also still tying into the Matrix or the main yeah, story definitely. of everything. You know, you it's know? like, like it, they don't all look the same, but that's the point. It's supposed to be, this is an artist's ability or this is the style or this is like, this is my technique and this is me pushing it to, to my limitations. And then heading back to this, uh, Love, Death and Robots, the yeah, style is there. It just misses that whole thread that ties it all together in the end. I mean, also, and for me, it feels more like, you know, it doesn't feel like an artist did this. It feels more like, you know, a production house hired a bunch of freelancers and they came up with stuff that, you know, is so commonplace and so, I would say, uh, like familiar, you know what I mean? Familiar, right, right. Nothing about this feels like it's going to blow me away or it's going to leave a mark on me. Like, at least uh, maybe... uh, uh, Fish City is like it, it's it's a beautifully told story, so I'll always remember the story. Maybe th- as the time goes on, the art style or maybe the the aesthetics might you know kind of age or might kind of wear on me. But at least the story is strong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the same with Zima Blue. But then like when you if you give me like a very basic story, and like it's just CG of its time, it's like yeah, this is not gonna. I wouldn't say. I mean, I'm not trying to like tell all these artists that it's a bad job. I'm just saying like push yourselves like you know find that next frontier and blow me away it's Netflix yeah. money go for it yeah. go big go home and it's like I mean that was what I was kind of hoping for because it's like I would not compare this immediately to something like Animatrix or something like Heavy Metal because you know those were groundbreaking yeah Some- and then they had a few years or so to be around on DVDs or wherever yeah. like Love, Death and Robots was just around for like what a week and a half so maybe give it time do you think so? I mean, I would say like, especially when it comes to CG animation, it will age. 
Oh, that will age, but I'm talking more about like the 2D stuff, like Zima Blue. Um, no, that, yeah. Even the, the, the 2D, mean, 3D stuff, the 2D, 3D hybrids, the hybrids. I, mean, I would call it for what it is. Like, you know, Zima Blue, that story will definitely be a highlight for years to come because, you know, it just it's just, you know, an artistic vision that's like told well with the Art Deco style. I mean, th- you that's... know we for- you know we forgot to mention about the witness, the one about the strip teaser. You want to talk the about the witness? Who, who, sure. Well, I mean, just a little bit. I mean, again, we're, 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 we 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 got to talk about uh, our next feature later anyway. But the witness is also like the whole style over substance. But style's more than enough, especially for these kind of stories. Mm. But the sci-fi elements, I have no idea what the hell's going on at the end. So what's yeah, I mean, tying into that? You know, I mean, I'm totally fine with that too because, like, you know, there was definitely like segments in heavy metal or, or in the animatrix which are forgettable, but you just remember the visuals. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And like for me, like the witness, I would say is the the one that is teetering on like you know very good or very bad. Yeah, the best and the worst of what mm. this. I mean, like the story has, is yeah. one of the weakest ones. I would say it's like a. Uh, I mean, it's it's you know it's a, it's a it's a time travel paradox I wouldn't even say a time travel probably it's not explained at all it's an alternate universe that happens within a chase scene where you know the the rules are reversed or something like that but one thing I do appreciate about The Witness is that uh, in terms of its transitions in terms of its animation style and the effects it uses like especially when like characters would breathe onto the camera and you would see the mist like mm-hmm. to me that is very artistic that is definitely the, the sign of a vision or like a director who's like I, I want this to really stand out and I want this to kind of like it uh, I, I would say I have like certain trademarks that I want to include mm-hmm. like well, if you were, if you were to show me something like Secret War and compared to like Lucky 13 like they, these two look like very exceptional cutscenes from video games <laughs> yeah exactly. and they look like they were de- like designed by the same guy Mm-hmm. whereas like The Witness is like yeah the story is kind of weak but it's, it feels like there is more going on here if you really like if you're like a guy like me who really pays attention to the details like The Witness to me feels like you know what visually amazing story wise performance wise uh, you know it's probably from a studio well known for doing something like what they did for yeah. Spider-Verse or something you know like that style you know yeah, you know I, it's from them I definitely you know? agree I mean like especially when it comes to the art direction for The Witness I also especially love the world design like the way, it, like that new, that that very neon pink and purple, like future Asia, yeah. yeah. And it's like, yeah, the, this looks amazing. I mean, like those definitely has those the, the best screenshots gonna be from that show. Oh yeah. But nobody's gonna remember the story. The story is gonna be like, yeah, somebody chases somebody, and then you know, rules get reversed. Actually, I did check out a few reviews. They actually use shots from Good Hunting or from The Witnesses, definitely. Yeah. So you're right. Because those are the visually striking ones. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You know. So, uh, final rating for this, um, I think this looks sounds more like a 7 or a 6 out of 10. For me, I'm giving it a 6 upon 10. And the thing is, because it's an average out of 18 stories, so it's not that every story is a 6 upon 10. Some are 9s, some are 4s. Mm. So, it's like, so know, it's like the war of the averages, lah, more or less. But there's not it. enough 9s for it to actually, you know, uh, bolster the score higher than I would give it. So, it's like... Yeah, uh, out of the 18 stories, there's definitely going to be three that will stick with you and there's 15 you have to kind of sit through. And you'll appreciate it for what it is, but then again, yeah, there's going to be a lot of style over substance. There's going to be a lot of like, well, that was interesting and then you just yeah. move on. Like, I would say mostly forgettable. And if anything, you know, uh, I doubt many people will return to this series after their first viewing. Mm. 
Sounds about right. So now we're going to jump to something that's kind of forgettable to something that's going to be seared <laughs> in our heads for a very, very long that's time. That's a very interesting segue you chose, sir. I the difficulty we... that is the game Sekiro Shadows Die Twice. I thought we were going to do the segue where it's all about misnomer, like how Love, Death, and Robots is like a bad name for something. And then like calling this Shadows Die Twice. Oh no, sir, you die a thousand times. Okay, that's a much better segue. <laughs> so yeah, let's jump into it. I mean... um. Okay, Sekiro is about a story of a ninja who has to go rescue this prince in uh, feudal Japan. I'm not sure which era was this. 40, yeah, definitely uh, feudal Japan. Feudal so. Japan, okay, feudal Japan. Shoguns and, and ninjas, to, yeah. Yeah, and he has to fight a lot of shit along the way. And is that and true to From Software Games is never about the story, it's more about the shit they have to go through. And yes, I can tell you right now that it's not an RPG. It's an action game where you basically... I mean, you still have some stats. I mean, it some little increments, RPG a little elements. bit. Yeah. You some got skill bits. trees, yeah, yeah. But I at, think but, is missing. Yeah, but at the same time, this is more like... Uh, it. This game still relies more on your agility and your wit as a ninja because as you play through the game more and more, you realize you're not a 90s, you're not an 80s ninja commando guy. You are an actual shinobi oh, hell with no. a sword <laughs> and a star and a grappling hook because of your arm, your missing arm and shit. And... You basically cannot take down like three, four guys at once lest you end up dead pretty quick. Unfortunately, I'm not really that far off into the game. I've only played about like 10, 12 hours per se. Ooh. And I'll, I'll be honest, I actually had a fun time with it. But my definition of fun here is more like um, the kind of fun <laughs> where you take a brick wall, or you take a giant brick, you hit it in the head a couple of times until <laughs> you get that sort of sensation of happiness popping up eventually as you bleed while your teeth is like kind of missing from the bricks okay that kind of that kind of fun i mean you know like how i, I guess I, I mean you know like the sadomaso kind of fun so in that sense say if you were to enjoy getting kicked in the nuts and if you had the most attractive woman will kick you in the nuts a thousand times and that's your thing there you go that's the best <laughs> analogy i could come up with like if that if that hot chick was probably um a younger terry hatcher or a younger diane lane sure you're going for younger terry hatcher younger terry yeah, wow yeah, yeah. <laughs> Nice references, so throwback. Uh, yeah. I would say this, like, uh, initial impressions. Uh, so I've clocked in about 30 hours into uh, Sekiro Shadows Die a thousand times. <laughs> Holy crap. <laughs> and you know what? Um, I have uh, a very, I would say, uh, I have dual opinions on this. One side, it's probably one of the most interesting uh, titles from the fr from 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 it's very weird to say from from yeah software. from software yeah <laughs> you know people who are legendarily famous for the soul series you know demon souls dark souls 1 to 3 and bloodborne and also at the same time uh, as a guy who really like you know has several times on the podcast admitted to i love challenge video games i fucking love this game <laughs> this game feels like a fucking video game this feels like it feels like those classic platformers from the 80s like uh, you know Ninja Gaiden or even Mega Man where it, it's not punishing because it's hard it's punishing because you keep making mistakes <laughs> you know in a, in a way where it's like it is one of the few games where it really uh, promotes player growth where it's like you have to get good it's it's, it's there it is it has the From Softmac trademark you, you have to you have to improve yourselves Grasshopper <laughs> Yeah, you're you not to be ready from grasshopper for this. to giant chainsaw bug. Yeah. <laughs> oh Jesus! I mean, I would say like you know what, especially because we give uh, Devil May Cry Five such a high rating, and the thing is like you know what, finally something that feels like a challenge, and this sucker comes out of nowhere like a week or two weeks later, and it's like, wait, 
It's, it's, it was literally like Devil May Cry. Oh, what a challenge. And then like from software, hold my beer. Yeah. <laughs> here is a challenge right here. And then they dropped this on me and I'm like, I'm sorry. You know, like the the meme right now is like, you know, I'm the like the distracted boyfriend and in my hand is Devil May Cry and like Sekiro's walking past me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like this is how I feel. It's like, I was so intent on like, like beating uh, Devil May Cry, like getting all the achievements, doing Dante Must Die in HAH mode. And it's like, ooh, Sekiro. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> I, I can see actually the disparity between Devil May Cry 5 and Sekiro. Devil May Cry 5 aim, makes you want to actually get that S ranking per stage in the hardest difficulty. Yeah. Sekiro basically says, You just want to get your Finish S- the game. You just want to finish the fucking game. That's it, you know? <laughs> this is why I can tell you this is probably the worst game that every reviewer has to go through because they have no <laughs> idea what the fuck they have to go through. And I can tell you right now, most reviewers probably haven't finished the game yet. You know what? Which is fine, which is fine. Considering that, again, this is the kind of game where From Software kind of needs to actually remind people that sometimes there are some games that require you to challenge people, you know, like to give that reminders that, you know, sometimes life, I mean, sometimes games require you to actually, you know, be good or be precise to certain things here and there. I mean, maybe we can take one good example. should do, actually, if I think. I mean, say. not all. I mean, some can be entertaining. Some can be, you know, fluffy kind of fun. And then you got that little other section which shouldn't be neglected, thankfully, that you need a challenge, you know, you need a challenge in your life. And again, this is the kind of niche that needs to be, which is actually being fulfilled by From Software, and I actually do thank these guys for doing that in a sense. I would say, like, I definitely subscribe to the fact that every video game should have a hard mode. Mm-hmm. It should, there should definitely be something for the challenge hits, and like, for guys like me, like, when a game like Sekiro Dice Twice comes out, it's like, yeah, that's me for the rest of the year. This is what I'm going to concentrate on. As much as I enjoyed Devil May Cry, Devil May Cry 5, after a little bit of practice, once you nail your combos, once you know how to get a, a triple S ranking consistently, then it just becomes a matter of like I mean I've mentioned before I would equate it to something like a Tony Hawk Pro Skater game where like you know just you know the, that thing you practiced over and over again yeah just don't mess it up muscle memory stuff automatic yeah, and the thing is like uh, the problem with games like that is because like once you have uh, definitely stepped over the initial hurdle that is the difficulty then it becomes just you know like you know when you go into autopilot and then Sekiro comes along and it's like, no, 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 there is no autopilot. You have you're to still you're still climbing. You haven't even plateaued. You're just still climbing. You that, have that curve. to fucking pay attention to exactly what is going around you every single time. And the thing is, that's what I love about games like this because I mean, like, that's why I also like like playing like fighting games because the level of concentration necessary because it's not the same thing twice, and it definitely like um, tests. It will test your reflexes. And your patience. <laughs> and I would say, like, you know, it's very hard for me to recommend games like this, especially to new gamers, because, like, like people complain about the steep learning curve in something like Devil May Cry. Have you played a From game? Have you played Ninja Gaiden? Wait, wait. Have you played a From game in the 90s? That's the definition <laughs> of a fucked up <laughs> difficulty curve. You're in a dungeon in Kingsfield. You walk left, you die. You walk right, you die. You have to go forward or back. You know, that sort of, like... No manual, you're in the deep end of the ocean, have fun. I mean, I think that's what I want to say, especially because like when I say things like this feels like a video game, video games, to me, essentially should be about trial and error, not so much about storytelling or character development. It should be about you as a player uh, reaching a limit and like you know definitely pushing yourself to the point where you can not just surpass it, but also at exactly. the same time. Like The thing is, it's very hard to explain to... like people who don't understand that the reason why like guys like me especially love games like this 
is that sense of gratification you receive when you finally beat that fucking boss or when you finally pull off that move or when you are able to parry or dodge or block or like you know like that moment when you yourself as a as a human being you've reached a new plateau in your ability oh that's what I like about From Software games the feedback they give when you parry something ni- uh, perfectly or when mm. you do your stealth death blow when you kill when you knock off a life of a boss it's very satisfying yep. props to the sound design for that like the slashes and the blood coming out and the way the guy moves you know I think that's why that visceral quality, especially like the reward of seeing you totally decimate an opponent when you like do the exact the the correct thing. I think that sword clash is right up there with like that same sword uh, cipher thing from Strider. You know, like sing sing sound (laughs) that parry sound. It's just it's like just as nice, you know, (laughs) sing sing. Yeah, I don't know what the hell to call it. It's like sing sing. You know, man from the Mega Drive that really high pitched squealy metal sound. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. It's good stuff. I mean, I get that from Sekiro when I parry a. Blade when I when I parry attack or when I do a Mikuru counter like that doom thing you know when you mm. step on the guy's pole and then you just beat the shit out of him or just stab him in the back that's really really satisfying yeah definitely the cognitive feedback is perfect I mean the thing is uh, from software have had many occasions to kind of nail the formula I don't want to say this right um, actually think- they kind of perfect the formula in a way because um, over time what they've learned from uh, Demon Souls Dark Souls and Bloodborne is Whenever you reach a boss, there's always going to be shit in front of you. But if you pay careful attention, there's going to be a shortcut some way, somehow, right? And I'm happy that at least most of, for most of Sekiro's parts, you know, like, to reach to a boss, even with all the stuff in the center, there's always going to be a shortcut, which is good. You know, like, you just got to pay that's attention. That's not what I was, the, that was not the train of thought I was on. I was, like, thinking uh, more along the lines of, like, I mean, okay, in terms of game design, I do agree with you that, you know, From Software, their only way of being forgiving is for giving you an alternate route. Yeah, yeah. They're, if they're you don't want to face this sense. now, you can just walk around it, or you can go somewhere else first. But what I was trying to say is that um, I think from software, they can go nowhere else with their Soul series. Like especially when it comes to like for me, the pinnacle of what their achievement is is definitely Bloodborne. Bloodborne is the best of like you know their that their Souls era output. Like Demon Souls was definitely their toe in the water. Dark mm-hmm. Souls one was close to perfection. Dark Souls two fucking amazing hands down Dark Strolls 3 a little bit disappointing but Bloodborne to me felt like this gave you the kind of agility and the kind of uh, I mean to me uh, Bloodborne is their 9.5 upon 10 that is Mm -hmm. closest to perfection they'll ever get and like it also feels to me like they were kind of like experimenting with okay we've given a certain kind of mobility to the players when it comes to Bloodborne especially with the gun parry uh, mechanic so let's give them two other things the jump and the dodge mechanic you know what I mean mm-hmm. and, then it be- and then I think they realize within themselves that this isn't really a Souls game because like, the thing is people will be saying like oh why not just make a Dark Souls 4 why go a different direction and then like I think maybe as a company like from a design perspective they couldn't name this a Souls game because it's gonna be it's so different from a Souls game it's not a Souls game this it is basically is not, yeah. yeah it's basically from software going back to the action gaming roots because I think you remember back in the Xbox days they were doing Metal Wolf Chaos they were doing <laughs> that is the, a very bad comparison yeah, yeah, but I okay, know what you the, mean the, the, the Otogi series which is actually kind of fun and relaxing for an action game for some reason mm. and of course Ninja Blade which everyone kind of makes fun of actually at Ninja, the time well Ninja Blade was a very bad Ninja Gaiden rip-off. it was it was yes yes it was an entertaining if terrible ripoff actually I mean the, the only thing that really annoyed me you know what could have immediately improved Ninja Blade was just remove all the, uh, the quick time events it would have been yeah. a decent game 
not a great game. It'll be a decent game. And I think also I want to like kind of go off on that tangent too because to me it feels like from software it has made a better Ninja Gaiden game than Team Ninja, and Team Ninja has made a better Souls game with Neo. Mm-hmm. It felt like these two companies kind of reverse roles for a, for a hot second. Yeah, because yeah, like yeah. to me, like uh, this game is like more reminiscent of games like Ninja Gaiden. Not so much of the stylish action games of like something like Devil May Cry or Bayonetta. It's far from that. This is a game about precision. This is a game about uh, mastering your like your reflexes, your controls, and your ability to predict and also react to like know the telegraph moves. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, like, that's what like the Ninja Gaiden Black series, the one that was directed by uh, Itagaki San back back in the day. That's what that game was all about. It's not about style. It's about surviving. It's about doing the exact the, the correct thing, you know, and always paying attention. And to me, it's like when like Team Ninja made Neo, it's like oh, it's a slightly faster paced Souls game. Interesting. So like to me, this feels like kind of a clap back, you know, like oh hey, you know, like you think you can do it, we can do this too, you know. I don't know if there's any true rivalry between the two com- uh, the two of them because I mean, Team Ninja is definitely known for their. Dead or Alive series nowadays more than from like the, the Ninja Gaiden games. There hasn't been a sequel since. Wait, I thought Tecmo Koei was known more for the Dynasty Warriors series. <laughs> more. Yeah, I mean, like, the money maker, basically. I'm talking about Team Ninja in general. Is like, uh, right, right. Like, the Ninja. guys the guys who gave us the Ninja Gaiden reboot is like they've kind of like uh moved away from that and they're like and they made Neo. He's like, oh, cool. Which is like, you know, is this is a Dark Souls ripoff? But then again, you know, Japanese culture is different. It's not about yeah. like, you know, it's about like you make your Street Fighter, we do a Fatal Fury. You know what okay, I mean? Okay. There's always yeah, a Coke yeah. to every Pepsi, especially when it comes to like uh, Japanese companies. And uh, from software, I think in a way decided to make like you know, the best Ninja Gaiden game. Uh, like they're going back to the roots and actually doing a pretty good job yeah, at it, even if it's too. very very challenging for a lot of people's goods. <laughs> yeah. I mean, do you think like in this day and age, like gamers, like there are definitely the, the get good crowd you know there is that community of people I mean I think just recently somebody posted on Twitch like he did the entire Souls and Bloodborne games without taking a single hit like, oh yeah yeah that That's... iron that champion that genius over there well yeah, done yeah. sir you definitely spent a lot of time playing video games uh, but I also want to say like there is that population of gamers who I feel like have been kind of underrepresented in the longest time yeah, yeah. There's always a place for yeah. you know people who actually want the challenge because again we're in this age where adventure games, your uh, walking simulators, and your AAA blockbuster games that focus on accessibility over challenge sometimes yeah. can be a bit grating and saturated mm. and you know not taxing to the mind. Like yeah. I would. I, that's why I'm happy that at least despite. From software, from software's way of handling certain things, which I'll get to later, yeah. I'm happy that you know a game like Sekiro exists because I can play it. Obviously, I'm gonna die a lot, but at least I learned something out of it at the very least. I mean, I agree there because it's like for me, like I will always rate games that uh, develop the player more than the character more. Like I mean, I'm not that interested in like you know, oh, if if my character is on some sort of quest to rediscover something, or I mean, like none of that. Like I skip every cutscene. Like then you give me something like Sekiro, where it's like, no, no, no you, if you want to see the next part of this map, you gotta beat this thing, and if you want to beat this thing, either you get really good right now. Or you go practice elsewhere, and it's like yeah, yeah, yeah. To me, that's replayability. That's like, like these are the skills that I can bring to the next game. Actually, for yeah. a guy who likes story, they can find a lot in a Sekiro because of the the ghosts you meet like halfway through, or like the little notes. Yeah. But the thing is, they don't shove this face thing in your face. I mean, yeah. except for the first few bits of the intro where they need to set context, everything else you kind of have to discover by yourself, which is. Again, approach that uh, the Soulsborne's game did, and that's a very good approach to storytelling. You discover this shit on your own. 
which is which actually fleshes things out. Yeah, and I also, mean, I, pre- I prefer that when, like, you know, if there is a story, don't throw it at the the player. Like, let them find it if they're looking for it. And if yeah, they're not, exactly. then it's fine. It doesn't affect the game at all. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm and always going to be gameplay over story. But I would also say this, like, um, Sekiro definitely is... Uh, if you're desperate for a challenge, and if, like, you're the kind of... If you're still weaning off the souls and the Bloodborne, and you're just looking for something, like, did From, from Software deliver... It did. Don't expect another Souls game. This is something completely different. Yeah, yeah. Don't play yeah. it like, like those RPGs. You have yeah. to play it like an action game that requires stealth. And also requires uh, spending points in the skill tree properly. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I would say this is definitely a game of trial and error. And I think this will definitely... Uh, like What will probably maximize your enjoyment is uh, try everything. Like you, It's surprisingly deep for a game that is I mean like a lot of people can basically complain that most uh, Dark Souls games can just be beaten with patience you just need to wait for the that, that opportune time that window for you to attack you know, and then just repeat until ad nauseum and I think Form Software are like very much aware of that now and they're thinking like okay we need to constantly catch the player by surprise and I think uh, what they did was basically okay if you think you're going to play this like a Souls game, if you think that all you need to do is wait for the moment, oh hey, here's a totally different attack where you need to react to totally different. Yeah, really, really quick. You either block yeah. or get some high damage <laughs> for your posture or try to jump the hell out of the way. Because most of the enemy's attacks will have like the little sign that comes up, like your de- like your unblockable sign basically. So you either, have to jump, yeah. you either have to jump or dodge. So you have to figure out which which animation lets you makes you want to jump or makes you want to dodge? So I again, mean, trial and error, which is good. Yeah. I mean, I would say like this is like the perfect game of rock paper scissors, where it's basically you have exactly three options at every single time. So you need to kind of pay attention to what option is present like present to you, and do you have like the mental fortitude to like maintain that deep level of concentration? Like to me, I would say like this. This reminds me of that game in two thousand sixteen, uh, Fury. Have you played it? Fury. F U R I. Oh, don't think I did. No, no, no. Oh man. Oh, oh, F U R I. Yeah, yeah. The the sword, the, the top down uh, sword yeah, game the, with the, the very that, that was new fun. retro that was wave fun. purple and blue game. Like yeah, that was fun. It has exactly that kind of mentality to it, where you have these very specific moves that kind of either counter or they uh, uh, allow you the ability to sidestep or they allow you the ability to maybe survive an attack. And it's like it's just that you have to focus and I love games like this because anything that uh, forces concentration anything that forces uh, like improvements in skill and ability and reflex I will just constantly like like give high praise forever uh, but you know what enough with the gussying up maybe do you want to kind of also talk about some of the flaws of Sekiro maybe because well, my it's flaws, not totally perfect yeah yeah I mean some of the flaws is like again like most okay like all soft from software games, there is a little bit of a, I won't okay, like there are some imperfections here and there, especially when it comes to particular fights. I mean, for example, I can, if I'm going around the castle, if I stab, if I alert every guard and I get shot in the head, that's my fault. That's entirely on me. But sometimes there are some boss fights where you know you're actually dodging it just right, and then all of a sudden, either you get grabbed midway while you're jumping up when you're dodging. <laughs> Or maybe you get hit because that little bit of hurt box you kind of forgot all about when your boss is actually attacking at a different angle per se. Mm. So it's like these little things that kind of add up to people's frustration. But I get it that it's a from software thing because they've done this for Bloodborne. 
They've done this for Dark Souls. They've done this for Demon Souls. Hell, I think Otogi and um, Kingsfield, they have this shit down to the pad. Yeah. They have this, like, from software, uh, quote-unquote, magic, where, you know, just because you're doing something correctly doesn't mean you might do it right half the time, you know? Uh, I also... I'm, I'm, I'm not dissing the controls. The controls are perfect, dude. Like, I, I do my executions, I do my uh, jumping and all that. I know what I'm parrying and what I'm doing right. You're reviewing this on what system? You're doing it on PS4 or PC? The PS4. I know the PC version has the be- is the best version. 60 frames. Yeah. It's fucking fast. But yeah. I also have to kind of like tell everybody this. I'm playing this on the PC and uh, definitely get the day one patch because I think for me, like I was playing this on the, the Xbox 360 controller. Mm-hmm. You know, just to like... Because the thing is, I would play... Uh, I would say uh, there's a little bit of issues when it comes to your controller s- settings. So maybe, yeah, definitely... Update your drivers, or whatever. Because like I had a little bit of problems technically, but I think is it like the bit of lag of the control or? What? I felt a little bit of input lag, and I was about to give this a bad rating. But I think once I restarted my game, or maybe it was something to do with like uh like you know deleting my Steam cache and reinstalling uh, the game, mm-hmm. then it worked perfectly after that. So mm-hmm. I don't okay, know. Okay. Uh, but I would say um yeah I agree with you. The controls are fucking liquid. They're 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 glorious. And I do also have to admit that yeah, there is sometimes that you you kind of feel like from software just like you know they they need to cheat. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> There's a but little. Just a, they they have to give themselves a little bit of advantage, but then also at the same time, it is not. I mean, then again, it comes the 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 response would be, yeah, block properly. Yeah, <laughs> dodge properly. Yeah, sidestep properly. You know, like or at least learn how the mm. enemies hit hit boxes. You know, like. We have to actually gauge lah per se, you know. I would say yeah, definitely a lot of trial and error. I mean, it's not. Purpose- That's the keyword right there, trial and error, right there. It's like it's not purposely unfair, but it is not fair. Yeah, I would say like you know, it's and I don't think it's like it's not like it's from software trying to spite you. I think it's more or less along the lines of like, I think they respect this uh, cadence of gamer. Like there's definitely like you know I would put myself in that category of gamer where like yeah I I want to be punished I want to be I would say in a way tested yeah. you know and like push me to my limits and like very few games do that nowadays and it's like I mean yeah sure give me another Far Cry another Assassin's Creed I'll beat it in twenty hours and I I'll don't ever want to touch it again games like this is like it's replay up the wazoo because it's like no you I want to do a perfect run or yeah, I want you, to be you want to beat it period you know not just beat it but also at the same time is there a way for me to beat this and get the most out of it I mean again I don't harp on that too much but uh, I mean for me the major weakness I would say that is existed like that exists with Sekiro is um, I don't know I don't want to complain too much about the cameras that because one is a fr- okay. That's another from software thing. They, yeah. I don't think they have actually mastered the way of handling cameras. And this is coming. This is coming from us who have actually lived through mm. Ninja Guide, the Ninja Garden reboot, where it has its own problems too. With I would also say is like you know what I mean. Uh, not so much like a criticism, right? But there are times when the hit detection for me is a little bit suspect. Yeah. There are moments, especially when I sidestep and I attack an enemy, and it just doesn't seem to connect correctly. And then yes, that's the thing I was also talking about earlier on. You know, so the like, from in, software magic. And like <laughs> in my head, I was like thinking, "Huh, all right, how precise do I need to be?" And then like that's when I realized, like that was me also saying to myself, "No, you're going into autopilot. Yeah, yeah. You're just you're not reacting accordingly. You have to pay attention, and you have to be extremely precise with exactly what you want to do." So you know what? It's it's very hard for us to kind of like. Uh, say that you know it's a problem or a detriment because most of the times it's like you know you, you could have just done that better 
Yeah, yeah. Or you the know? fact that, you know, despite the fact that we've died a lot of times, I'm actually still coming back to Sekiro. This is still the game that, you know, that sense of gratification outweighs the challenge and the deaths that you go yeah, through definitely. many, many times. Yeah. I mean, like, can I just mention to you my favorite moment ever when I was playing this game? What, what, what? So, this is a giant white monkey. <laughs> Baboon, okay. actually. He's not a monkey, he's an ape. Okay, so you know he's the he's apparently the king of the apes. You know, there's a whole, there's a whole section where you have to fight off a lot of the of these, uh, I would say, you know, hot spring baboons. <laughs> and uh, this was a very particularly challenging boss fight. And like the moment of me finally beating him, and this is after like I would say close to twenty or thirty deaths, I counted, and I, I knew like okay, fine. Uh, I, I I mastered the pattern. I got used to the telegraphs, and I like you know parried perfectly. I dodged perfectly, and the the moment I finally killed him, right, and I thought to myself, okay, you know, okay, there it is that 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 uh that sense of gratification, that that you know overwhelming satisfaction, and the fucker got back up again. He resurrected <laughs> I was without like, his head, if I recall, right? Yeah, the final. <laughs> Oh, you, you 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 fought this. I'm uh, no, I I I've seen the videos actually. No, but I mean like, like the the final death blow is you chopping his head off. Yep. And then he just gets back up, holding his head. And then in my head, and the, my head just exploded with delight. I was like thinking, oh, you get me. Yeah. <laughs> you get me so much from software. This is exactly the kind of, fuck you. You're not done yet. Let's go round two rematch now. I was like, yeah. Oh, and I mean the the thing is like it's 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 like. These are the moments I live for. These are the moments that, like, you know, that's when you kind of lean in front of your chair, you hold your controller a little bit tighter, and like, all right, it's on. Now, that this is, you've pushed me, now we've reached a certain level. Okay, wh- where can I go with this? And if you as a gamer, if that's the moments you're looking for, if those are the things that, you know, inspire you or compel you to play video games, that moment where you, you feel like, Okay, what is it that I can do, and what is it like? You know, I mean, there'll be definitely guys out there who look like look at gameplay videos, or they look at like you no know, Devil May Cry videos, and like, okay, how do I pull off that combo? I want to, you know, that that is the ascension of you, your personal growth, of me as a gamer. Like, like I'm totally ignoring the get good like community because like you know those guys annoy the hell out of me. <laughs> it's all about like I got this. You know what I mean? That, you that got feeling. it through on your own, basically. Yeah, you know, like, like you in your own heart, like you, you, you're just looking at the challenge in front of you, and then you are not. It's like basically at you know that moment in the Matrix where everything appears in ones and zeros, and you have become, you have ascended, you've become the one. <laughs> you'd be like, yeah, this is my moment. I know what to do. And it's like, if you're looking for moments like that, Sekiro will provide that to you every five minutes. <laughs> And then some, yeah. And then some. It is it is nothing but a constant barrage on the senses and the reflexes, but also an opportunity for you as a gamer to just not only meet every challenge, but also ascend. And I would say, like, you know what? This is what gaming was like in the 80s and 90s, kids. <laughs> Seriously. It's like, you know, like, we, we say a lot about Mega Man, we say a lot about Ninja Gaiden. Like, you have your version right now. And if people yeah, are complaining yeah. that video games aren't challenging... Um, sorry, from software exists. Yeah, yeah Sekiro challenge? is very challenging. You Just, want a yeah. challenge? That's a challenge, sir. <laughs> Go yeah. for it. I don't know. Uh, I mean, any, anything you, else you want to add? Maybe. I don't. Because I don't so. know what else I can say. Because like this game is basically like I'm 30 hours in. I'm barely anywhere close to completing it. I think. 
But the thing is, we're having fun in the game. I mean, you're yeah. having fun. I'm also kind of like, I actually do like actually just getting challenged per se. And I'm actually like just pretty early on. Like I just finished killing the, what's that? The blazing bull or whatever. I have to go through another few sections. Oh, that was such a fun fight. Oh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> after, you, after you get through the 30 deaths, yeah, then it's fun. <laughs> once, once you figure out what to do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Then, then you get it, you know, like you see the ones and zeros, like you mentioned. So that's what I like about, you know, Sekiro per se. Mm. Although, again, my only nitpick is again, like, if I want to recommend this game, I only can recommend it to guys like us or guys who actually yeah. like the 80s style of fight action games. This is where, not for mainstream like, audiences. This is definitely a very certain demographic of people. Yeah. Or if you're one of those gamers who feel like, oh, Fortnite's not challenging enough for you. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, like, what would be the equivalent nowadays? I mean, it's just nice to know that a company that from software exists. I guess Street Fighter 4 against Tokido or um, Saku. Nah. <laughs> That's a High <terrible>. level. <laughs> like, 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 you can go online and yeah, they're waiting for you. No, this is a challenge that exists right there. You yeah. go for it. I mean, like, yeah, but I mean, it's very, it's a very close comparison to like, you know, basically you, go, you play a fighting game online and you just meet some amazing player you've never seen before <laughs> yeah yes you you will you will definitely have your feelings hurt playing Sekiro <laughs> yeah but no, it's a good it's... kind of hurt in a way like I don't know it will temper it's... your spirit yeah. it's definitely something that requires a lot of intestinal fortitude I mean I mean the joke is like overplayed where yeah you have to be a masochist or you need to really hate yourself or you need to like the the term like you know control controller breakers exists for a reason and they've been around since like the earliest days of gaming, and it's just nice to know that something like Sekiro and like the guys at From Software are still like holding reminding the flag us up high. every time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, reminding us every now and then. Yeah, like for guys like, like for guys like me, for guys like you, it's like, oh, you guys like a challenge? Here's a challenge. Yeah. Thank you, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I can't really give a full review yet, but I'll just just give this like my heartiest recommendation because I'm still pretty early in the game. I mean, I would say this, uh, playing 30 hours and uh, probably there's another 30 to 50 hours waiting in front of me. Maybe I am halfway through and like there is like I haven't unlocked everything in the skill tree. Mm. So I'm not really sure what it is that the full potential of this game is. But uh, maybe as a first impression, definitely. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure this is going to be definitely 8.5 to a 9 upon 10. This is going to be the game of the year for me. Something tells me this is one of those games where the toughest enemies aren't the bigger enemies. They're just the humans who are just like you, just like your lone wolf character. <laughs> those are, those will be your toughest enemies. I mean, Bloodborne has Lady Maria. Um, Dark Souls has that um, dude with the giant sword. I forgot. <sighs> anyway, the only true enemy is yourself. Yes. You have exactly. to be able to ascend. <laughs> Wise words from a ninja shinobi, uh, Shafiq, right there. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, Shafiq dies twice. Oh. Yeah. OG shinobi. So, anyway, yes. Uh, Sekiro Shadows Die Twice uh, from the guys at From Software. Heavily recommended. Heartily recommendation. Yes. Definitely. Like, you know, if you're looking for a game that totally respects your ability to get your ass kicked and, like, get pick yourself up again. I don't know. Buy this game. Support from software. They're doing God's work here. Yeah. And until Team Ninja gets off their asses and gives us another Ninja Gaiden, you know what? Eh? You know? Yeah, this would be Neo like your best fine. replacement right now. Yeah. Neo was fine, but you still own the rights to Ryu Hayabusa. Give us another Ninja Gaiden. Okay? Yeah. Like, you can't let from software get away with this, Team Ninja. <laughs> yeah. Up your so, game. <laughs> up your game. And, and stop overcharging for DOA DLC. <laughs> Uh, actually, now the game is free to play. I think it's going to free to play now, like in part five. Oh, really? Yeah. But you still have to pay for costumes, sir. Yeah, that too. But oh, man, I really, really need 
my <laughs> my my bikini thong collection. I don't know. So anyway, uh, yes, definitely. So that has been Love, Death, and Robots. Uh, I don't know. Not heartily recommended, but yeah, if you have time, give it a shot. You know, everything yeah. everything is a nice bite-sized portion that you can yeah, definitely yeah. go through. Uh, still, still, still has its own merits. You know, just and, cherry pick the episodes. And uh, Sekiro definitely go and buy that game. Uh, yeah, so yeah. you know, like you know what, tune in again next week. We'll be talking about the real Captain Marvel. <laughs> The other Sh- Captain Marvel, yes. Shazam. No, the true Captain Marvel. He the was the first. One. The original, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the true Captain Marvel. Uh, but anyway, uh, yes. Uh, so yeah, I guess uh, Subject Tom will be back by then. So, um, you know what? Uh, let's wrap this up. Uh, yep. This has been <laughs> Shafiq Dies Twice, the OG Shinobi. Yep. And this has been um, Other Shinobi, Mustafi Sanyang.